0: It's such a powerful quote. When deep injury is done to us, we never recover until we forgive. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. It's a powerful quote by a very beautiful young lady whose life was cut short at the Virginia Tech shooting. It's powerful, it's true, and it's very, very difficult Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness requires me to release my right to retaliation so that loving reconciliation can occur. Forgiveness refuses to make people pay for what they did. And yet that's what we're learning in this series called Bridges. It's a series about healthy relationships, and we've been studying Paul's letter to Philemon, this small 25-verse letter, 335 words. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there, because today we're going to look at this theme of forgiveness and grace Paul's letter to Philemon brings together three people from three very different cultures and ethnicities. Paul, a former Jewish legalist, Christianity's most feared enemy, transformed by the grace of Jesus to becoming Christianity's leading apostle. And then there's Philemon, who is non-Jewish He's wealthy, he's a slave owner. And then there's Onesimus, the lowest class in Roman society. He's a fugitive slave. Sin brought them together, but forgiveness made them a family. When Onesimus fled from Philemon, he went a thousand miles away to Rome. And in the grace and Wisdom of God. Somehow, Onesimus meets Paul, who was under house arrest for the gospel. In Acts 28, it says that Paul actually rented a place. He was chained to a Roman guard, awaiting trial before the emperor himself. And he was able from that rented place to receive guests and Scripture says he boldly proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. And Onesimus was one of those who came. This once useless slave became a useful brother in the Lord. And Paul sent Onesimus back to make amends with Philemon. Not because he was a slave to a slave master, but because he was a brother And Philemon was a brother. And so he sent Onesimus back to make amends, to humbly ask for forgiveness, to own his peace for the sake of peace. Paul instructed Onesimus to go back to make it right, to acknowledge his peace, acknowledge his wrongdoing, no excuses, no, I'm sorry if I hurt you or, or perhaps I offended you or mistakes were made. None of that. I was wrong, I was at fault, I'm liable, I'll accept the consequences. I wonder how many times he replayed what that conversation was looked like with every mile. Until finally, he was at mile 1000, and it would no longer take place in his mind, but in person. And there on the horizon, Philemon is working his land. I mean, in his mind, Onesimus has gone and life has gone on. And as far as Philemon knows, he'll never see him again. But Philemon looks up and it's Onesimus. And Philemon, when he first sees him, doesn't know that he's become a Christian. And no words are yet spoken, just just this letter from an old man. Let's pick it up in verse 17. So Philemon... Paul writes, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit. This is God's word. And Philemon reads this and his lip begins to quiver and Onesimus begins to weep and these two brothers in Christ embrace and on that day in that place grace wins. Grace wins. Now here's why I believe that construction of this letter this backstory occurred what i'm telling you goes back as far as the 4th century by a pastor named John Chrysostom and the argument is this we 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 have reason to believe that they reconciled because we have the letter I mean, why else would we have the letter? It's been preserved. Had Philemon crucified Onesimus, why would he have kept it? It was an honor culture back then. And Philemon read this, though, not as a personal request from an old man who was a prisoner. That's not why he kept it. And you see, Paul wasn't merely sending a memo with his personal preference about what he thought Philemon should do. Philemon kept this because it was, in fact, the word of God. What Onesimus gave him was not just a request from an old friend. It was the very inspired word of God. And God's word was calling on Philemon to to trust the Lord. God's word was telling Philemon to remember your primary identity. Your primary identity is not that of slave owner or businessman or husband or father. Your primary identity, the first answer to the question, who am I? It's not your job, not your race, not your gender, not your nationality. These aren't first. These are not foremost. Your first and primary identity is who you are in Christ. And who you are is a brother. Before you're anything else, Philemon, you're a brother in Christ. The world says you are this, but God's word says otherwise. You are someone who loves. You are someone who refreshes the hearts of others. Verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Oh, Philemon, when you walk in the room, it's always the 1st of May. Every day is the 1st of May when you walk in the room. Only a brother or sister in Christ lives this way. And, and Philemon... The Onesimus who stands before you is not the same Onesimus who left you. Onesimus' primary identity is not not that of a Roman slave. His primary identity is brother in Christ. So receive him as you would receive me. Treat him the way you would treat me if I were standing there. Whatever he's done, however much he's cost you, name the price, I'll pay it. I can vouch for his sincerity. Philemon, here it is. If you want to refresh my heart, give grace to the one who hurt you. If you want to refresh my heart, give grace to the one who hurt you. Grace is God's way of refreshing wounded hearts. Grace Heals the hurts you don't deserve. Grace refuses to retaliate when someone does you wrong. Grace. I I deeply believe that if this were the only book in the New Testament to survive the ancient world, it would be sufficient to have healthy relationships. Because this is a letter of grace. Philemon is a letter of love wrapped in grace. There's love in, as the meat of this letter. Love, verse 5. Love, verse 7. For love's sake, verse 9. Beloved brother, verse 16. It's love wrapped in grace. Grace begins the letter, verse 3, grace to you. Grace concludes the letter, verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a story of hurt bookended by grace. And what is grace? What is grace? Hmm. Well, here are some definitions, but these definitions will really only be meaningful if you are willing to think about someone who has hurt you. Hmm. Someone who needs your forgiveness, someone who needs your grace. Do you have that person in mind? Hmm. Here goes. Grace is a lover giving unearned love to the beloved. Grace costs the giver everything and the receiver nothing. Grace is a decision on the part of the giver to benefit the receiver. Grace is an offer of love to someone who doesn't deserve love. You cannot see grace for what it is until you see how undeserving you really are. Grace is irrational. It has nothing to do with weights and measures. And and grace is never the outcome of my ability to negotiate with God. So grace is never a negotiation to whittle down debt. Oh, I negotiated with God and I walked away with grace. Really? Grace uses no sticks and no carrots. Grace just dies for us. Grace is Jesus Christ. Grace is God-loving, God-stooping, God-coming to the rescue, God-giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. And grace makes my nose run. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Grace is supernatural. There's nothing natural in Philemon. Nothing. I mean, Paul is being asked to care about someone who is the lowest in society. It's not natural to do that, not in the Roman world. Philemon is being asked not to give what Onesimus deserves, but to go beyond to give grace in view of their relationship as brothers in Christ. Onesimus is asked to give up his freedom to make things right. None of these things are natural. If everybody does what's natural, there will be no Philemon. There will be no word of God, at least not here preserved. And there will be no church if there's no grace. No grace, no church. The gospel is that we have been gathered here for no other reason than to receive what only Jesus can give. Grace has rescued us from ourselves so that we can live for God. And therefore, pride is the enemy of grace. Scorekeeping contaminates grace. Entitlement cuts the heart out of grace. What is grace? Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is being loved when you are the opposite of lovable. Grace is one-way love. That's what grace is. Now, I don't know if Philemon ever pushed back against that or not, but I know I would. Oh, yes. Yeah. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father with two sons, the younger who went to the far-off land, the elder self-righteous brother who stayed home, that's me. That's me. In love with my righteousness. Righteousness. So here's my pushback. I don't know if Philemon pushed back, but here would be my pushback. There are several pushbacks. The first pushback is this. Well, this is too hard. This is just too hard. And the answer is you're right. It is too hard. It's too hard for us, but not for God, which means we cannot do this alone. At the outset, we must lean on the Lord in prayer. God, I cannot do this by myself. In fact, God, I don't even want to do this by myself. I want to stay mad. I want to stay angry. I want to make the other person suffer. They don't deserve to get off that easy. Yet, Lord, the more I want the person who hurt me to suffer, the more I suffer. So, God, change my heart Help me want to make peace. Help me want to offer grace. Soften my heart so that I can give grace and show love. So, so you see, see, forgiveness doesn't start with the person who hurt you. It starts with the God who created you, the God who loves you. That The battle in the fight against bitterness is not over the command to love. It is the command before the command to love. The command to believe. The basis of gospel love is not willpower. It's belief. Belief that God loves me. Belief that he gave himself for me. Belief in the transforming power of Jesus to change me and to change this situation. Faith. Is what's at issue here. So, do you believe? Do you? Well, there's another pushback, and it goes, comes in the form of this question How do you expect me to forget? You know, forgive and forget. How do you expect me to forget? God's not asking you to forget, He's not. Forgiveness doesn't mean we get amnesia about someone's evil. The fact of the matter is, you can't forgive what you've forgotten. You forgive because you remember. It was real. It hurt. You hurt. In Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I will not remember Israel's sins. He doesn't say he cannot remember Israel's sins. He says he will not remember our sins. He's choosing to forget. I am choosing not to hold this against you. To to say that God forgets is to say that he feels about us the way he would feel about us if he had forgotten. And for us, that takes time. So we shouldn't make forgetting a test of forgiving. And then there's still another pushback, right? You know, it comes in the form of this question. What if someone doesn't want to be forgiven? Should, Should we waste our forgiveness on someone unrepentant? I'm thinking of the white supremacists in Charlottesville who were chanting, you will not replace us. They don't care if I forgive them. They don't care. So then why should I bother? You know why I should bother For my own peace of mind, that's why. So that I won't drown in my own misery. Someone once said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the offender to die. And someone else said, if you do not transform your pain, you will surely transmit it. That's why Paul says in Romans Chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That refers to the red face of shame. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, to be clear, church family, to give grace doesn't mean you don't establish boundaries. And to give grace doesn't mean that the person shouldn't be held accountable before the law of the land. You know, there are good reasons to confront wrongdoers, to to wake them up to their real character, to move them, to repair their relationships, or, or at least to constrain them and to protect others from being harmed by them in the future. But you see, those reasons for confrontation are reasons of love. If you're not confronting them for their sake or for society's sake, but for your own sake, just for payback... The chance of the wrongdoer ever coming to repentance is virtually nil. Only when you've lost the need to see the other person hurt will you have any chance of actually bringing about change or reconciliation and healing. You have to submit to the costly suffering and death of forgiveness if there's ever going to be any resurrection. So there's several pushbacks that Scripture responds to. But I'll tell you what the most significant and unspoken pushback to grace is, and it's, it's, it's most significant to me and maybe to you, but it goes something like this. Philemon, you used to be Onesimus. Once you were separated... Once you're a slave to sin, once you're estranged from God, once you're on the run, and in that state, God forgave you in Christ. So in Christ, you're not called to treat others the way they treat you, you're called to treat others the way God has treated you. We don't give grace because others earn it, we give grace because we've been given grace. You all have often heard me say that Christianity is not do more, try harder. It's not do more, try harder. Instead, Christianity is, I will give you, I will give you. Frankly, some of us wish it were do more, try harder. Like every other religion on the earth. You see, if it were do more, try harder, then we could say that we contributed to the cause. In a sense, we would be like a taxpayer with rights. Well, I've done my fair share, and now God needs to do his part and offer me a certain quality of life. So do more, try harder puts a limit on what God could ask you to do. But if it's all grace... If it's all I will give you, if it's all unearned, undeserved, unmerited love of God, if I'm a sinner saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then in fact there is not one thing he can't ask of me. The fact is, grace threatens my freedom. Grace threatens my self-will if Jesus really has done all of this for me, then there's not one thing I can call my own. So you see, grace is not the abandonment of slavery. It is simply the choice of a better master. And let me tell you about this master. Paul says in Romans eight twenty nine. This master decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So grace is God, the heart surgeon, cracking open your chest and taking out your poisoned heart and putting his heart in your body. Rather than tell you to change, he creates the change. Do you clean up so that he can accept you? No, he accepts you. And then begins cleaning you up. His dream is not just to get you into heaven. He wants heaven into you. And what a difference this makes. You can't forgive your enemy. You can't face tomorrow. You can't forgive your past. Christ can and he's on the move aggressively budging you from graceless to grace-shaped living. Grace is Jesus. Grace lives because Jesus lives. Grace works because Jesus works. Grace matters because Jesus matters. In his death and resurrection, Jesus placed a term limit on sin and danced a victory jig in the graveyard. To be saved by grace is to be saved by him. Not by an idea, not by a doctrine, not by a creed, not by church membership, but by Jesus himself and Philemon needs to know this and believe this and trust this and then act on it. And what Philemon does matters. You see, Paul is asking his heart to be refreshed by how he treats, how Philemon treats Onesimus. But it's not just gonna be Paul's heart that's gonna be refreshed. And it's not just gonna be Onesimus's heart that's gonna be refreshed. Look at verse two. The church in your house, they're going to be refreshed by Philemon's grace. I mean, how is he ever going to preach on grace if Onesimus is in the front yard nailed to a cross? Others are watching. And they're going to do what the leader does, and what they need is a leader who will model grace. Yes, yes, we need to read of grace in the pages of God's Word, and we need to see what God's Word looks like in the life of a leader. So let me show you what that looks like in my life. Show you my family here. Top row left. That's my sister-in-law, Julia. Next is my little brother, Rick. Next, uh, the blonde, is my niece, Kaylee. That's her husband, Nathan. He has got a really cool red Mustang. Next to Nathan is our our younger son, Brandon. Next row in the pink is um, Nancy. That's my brother's mother-in-law. To the right is my brother. That's my older brother, Rob. To the right of Rob is Christy, his wife, Nancy's daughter. There's me, There's my beautiful wife, Sarah. To the far right, is my stepmother, Donna. Down at the bottom right is my dad, Bob. At the bottom in the green is Isaac. That's Rick's and Julia's son. And then in the middle, at the bottom, is my mom. I've never seen a portrait quite like that. With... A current and a former. Never seen a picture quite like that. But there it is. My folks divorced in uh, 1990. And, man, that was hard. That was really hard. I found out, I found out that uh, they were splitting up the week before we moved here. Um, and then my dad's job took him to Saudi Arabia for almost 20 years, and I saw him sporadically in that time. It was very hard the first few years, the first several years. But about 20 years later, there was kind of a, Reconciliation, I guess. And a few years ago, this picture was taken the day after Christmas Day at J.C. Penney's. <laughs> huh? And those are genuine smiles. My mom and my stepmom picked out the pictures. What a thing of grace. And I don't know exactly when my parents reconciled. I often wondered why, you know, there was no peacemaking ceremony. But then it dawned on me, that's what that photo is. And our family's not perfect. But grace is sufficient. And because I do identify with the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, after my mom forgave, I I still had issues with anger over this. And then, I don't know how else to explain it, then that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Randy, your mom has forgiven your dad. And she was hurt more than you. Now, what do you want to do? And that question convicted me to give grace freely, to love without expectations freely. With God's help, I've given grace. And I'm so glad, I'm so grateful for that picture, especially now that my parents' health is failing. I prayed with my dad yesterday morning. He's been so sick, he is so confused. He does not know where he is. He often doesn't know who we are. And God's grace has transformed anger into just empathy and sympathy, (laughs) And only God can do that. And I'm not saying that y'all should run out to J.C. Penney's tomorrow morning. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is how it looks in my life. This is how God has worked in my life. I'm saying that no one has been hurt by sin more than Jesus, and look what he did. Now, what do you want to do? When deep injury is done to us, we never recover until we forgive. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Corey Tin Boom was imprisoned with her family by the Nazis. She had given aid to the Jews early in World War II, and her father and her beloved sister died there because of their brutal treatment in the prison camp. God sustained Cory throughout her time, and after the war, she traveled throughout Europe testifying to God's love. And in a book that she wrote called The Hiding Place, she had a remarkable encounter of grace. It took place in Germany. She said, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl about the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? So I prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and, and help me forgive him. And I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I again breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered in that moment that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges. It's on him When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Amen.